Good morning. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Father, we thank you for gathering your people this day. We thank you for the promise of our Savior that when we gather in his name, he'll meet with us. Oh, Holy Father, we desire to honor you. Oh, Holy Son, we desire to worship you. Oh, Holy Spirit, we desire to walk with you. Help us this day. Father, if we know our hearts at all, we love you. Help us love you more. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first two Gospels, the evangelists have recorded our Savior's interaction with what Mark describes as a scribe. And Matthew describes as a lawyer. Uh, Namakos, one learned in the law, or an interpreter or teacher of the Mosaic law. I'm sure you're familiar with these passages, but listen, hear this from Matthew chapter 22. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him or testing him and saying, Master, Which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Wow. Wow. That's Jesus's, that's God's summary of that on which the entire Old Covenant hangs. And what is it? Love. This is why Paul can later write, love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans 13.10. Paul can write that because that's what Jesus taught. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Well, here, Mark's account of this interaction. This is from Mark chapter 12. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked of him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but He. 
and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. Well, in St. Mark's account there, Jesus is recorded as quoting the entire commandment. And in both narratives, the passage that Jesus is reciting is from the final book of the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy. Listen, hear, O Israel, Jehovah our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. So saints, listen. According to our incarnate God, according to Jesus Himself, the greatest commandment in all the Old Covenant is this. Love. It's love. When He walked this earth as a Son of Man, our Savior said to His beloved disciples, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also so love one another. John thirteen thirty four. So listen, according to Jesus' new command, Christians are to love each other just like Jesus loved His disciples. Bearing with their faults, seeking their flourishing, desiring the very best for them. How did Jesus love His disciples? Well, He put up with some stuff. Listen, this is something the saints are to be doing. Well, what are we supposed to do, Lord, until You come back? Here's something we're supposed to be doing, friends. This is part of our occupation. That is, one of the things which is to occupy us. Christians are to be occupied keeping that greatest commandment of all. That first and great commandment. Loving God. Loving God the Father. Loving God the Son. Loving God the Holy Spirit. Listen, we Christians are to be occupied delighting ourselves in the Holy Trinity. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. Love Him forever. Do you enjoy God? Do you love Him? That first Jesus, you know, Joshua, He repeated this command to the children of Israel on the occasion of their entry into the Promised Land. He said, Take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of Jehovah, charged you. 
to love Jehovah your God and to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and to cleave unto Him and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went under their tents. Joshua 22, 5 and 6. Well, brothers and sisters, listen. I want to do this. I want to do this. Do you? Don't you? I want to love my God. I want to cleave to Him. I want to serve Him with all my heart and all my soul. I want to love Him fully with my heart, with my soul, with my mind, with my strength. But but I'm a 21st century man. Well, more like a 20th century man, Tim. And so the question comes to my mind immediately, what does this mean for me? What does this mean? How is it that I can love my God fully with every part of my being? With that which is material, my body, and that which is immaterial, my heart, the seat of my desires and emotions in the Hebrew mind, and my soul, that part of me which is not body, but is alive, and my mind, that part of me that thinks and reasons and decides. How can I love my God? fully. Well, years ago, I read C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves. And at this point, I can't remember many of the details, but I do remember that Lewis's entrance into that subject was philology. Philology. The study of words and language, especially from an historical perspective. And so, Lewis noted that while we have our English word, love, there are several Greek words that were in use at the time that Jesus walked the earth. And though the words are different in Greek, they're all translated as love in our English versions of the New Testament. There's philos, referring to those feelings one has towards close friends, brotherly love. You know, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, or philosophy, the love of wisdom. Philos, but love. That term is used frequently in the New Testament. That's the word used in the New Testament to describe Jesus' love for His disciples. That's the term used in the New Testament to describe Jesus' love for Lazarus. Then there's storg, storge, referring to the love that we have for our parents, our siblings, our children, other family members, what we might call familial love, storge. That term is used infrequently in the New Testament. 
Paul uses that word negatively in Romans 1, 31, when he describes the pagans as, quote, without natural affection, without storge, without love. It's as if he's saying they don't even love their mothers. That's bad. There's eros referring to romantic or sexual love. That's where the Greek comes into English as erotic. That's where we get that word. That term was in use at the time of Christ, but it's not used anywhere in the New Testament. Rather, New Covenant The new covenant command to husbands in Ephesians 5.25, you know this one? Husbands, love your wives. The Greek term there translated love is a form of agape. Now, not to denigrate eros, but to teach Christian husbands that they are to love their wives with more, not less, than eros. Well, I mentioned Agape. And this is the term most used for love in the New Testament. Agape refers to divine love, the kind of love that God has, the kind of love that Christians are to have for all men, including enemies. This term is used very frequently, over 100 times. In the New Testament, agape is a selfless kind of love that acts in the best interests of others. Like when Jesus said, This I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5, 44 and 45. So listen, when, when husbands are to agape their wives, they are to seek the best for their wives. They are to promote their flourishing, which requires thought, consideration, determination. Agape is the word used in Matthew 22 and in Mark 12, when Jesus affirms and reiterates that old covenant Mosaic command, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Now, beloved, listen, I I rehearse all of this. (laughs) I rehearse all of this just to show you that the command, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, is not simplistic. It's not simplistic. If we're to obey it, we must consider what it means, what it requires of us, and how it is that we shall obey and fulfill this commandment. For, listen, we are trying to Agape, our God. We are trying to love our God with our entire being, heart, soul, mind, body. And we're trying to love our God passionately with all the strength that we can muster. Right? 
What does this commandment require of us? Well, Eric, the dictionary and the lexicon are of little help here. Here here are the lexical definition of agape from BDAG. Quote, the quality of warm regard for and interest in another, esteem, affection, regard, love, without limitation to very intimate relationships and very seldom in general Greek of sexual attraction. We're to love God. But what does this require? Well, since the dictionary and the lexicon are not much help here, let's turn to that axiom of the Reformation. Scripture interprets Scripture. And see if there is any Scripture that would help us, that would teach us how it is that we can love our God. And thanks, you probably can anticipate where I'm going with this. But... When God walked this earth as a man, as son of man, he taught those who would be his followers this way. He said to them, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Pretty simple statement, right? He said, if a man love me, He will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. John 14, 23 and 24. Now, brothers and sisters, listen. If we just stopped right there, if we just stop right there and receive the Master's teaching at face value, I believe that He teaches there's an equivalence. I'll enhance this in a moment. Listen, there's an equivalence. There's an equation, if you will, that says loving Jesus equals obeying the teachings of Jesus. Are you listening? And it says the converse, and he said it, not loving Jesus equals disobedience to the teachings of Jesus, or not obeying the teachings of Jesus. Loving Jesus equals obeying his teachings. Not loving Jesus equals not obeying his teachings. Did I simplify that, or is that what you saw too? Listen, we're looking for scriptural help as we seek to understand what it means for us to fulfill that first and great commandment, to love our God. Now listen, I said a moment ago that I'd enhance that equational definition of love. And I don't want to validate it because I believe it's very valid, totally valid. But it's incomplete. Because, listen, unquestionably, agape is not cold or dry or dispassionate. That's just not how love is. 
We heard the lexical definition, warm regard, esteem, affection. And listen, those are feeling words, aren't they? Those are emotional terms. So what if we modified our equation to say, loving Jesus equals obeying Jesus with warm regard, with esteem, obeying Jesus with high affection. Would that be better? Opining on the nature of the love that the saints are to have for their Savior, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, it must be sincere with the heart. It must be intelligent with the mind. It must be emotional with the soul. It must be intense and energetic with all the strength. Let me ask you something. Can you decide to love something? Sure you can. Many years ago, many years ago, I was working outside and it was very cold. I was in need of some hot coffee. Badly. Oh, it was cold. And the only hot coffee available was black coffee. Barefooted, if you will. It was in a thermos. No cream was available. No sugar was available. But the owner of that coffee offered me some. And being cold and needy, I decided I will like this. And though it seemed repulsive at the time, I drank it. And saints, listen, this is how I like my coffee now. Just coffee. I decided to like it years and years ago. And you know what? I do like it a lot. Listen, how many wives, how many wives have had no interest whatsoever in football or basketball or hockey? Zero interest. But her husband loved it. And so, because of her love for her husband, the wife took up an interest in the game. And she learned it. And she watched it with him. And after some time, she's become a rabid fan of whatever the sport is. Have you ever seen that? Listen, husbands are commanded in the New Covenant Scriptures to love their wives. I read it a minute ago, Ephesians 5.25. And listen, if they don't, if they don't, that is disobedience to Christ. And it's a symptom of lack of love toward God. Wives are commanded in the New Covenant Scriptures to love their husbands. Titus 2.4 And if they don't, that is disobedience to Christ. And 
It's a symptom of lack of love towards God. Listen, when married people fail to love, it's a double whammy. They don't love their spouse, and they exhibit a lack of love to God who has commanded them to love. You remember John, the beloved apostle, wrote, This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. 1 John 5, 3. The New International Version translates that this way. Listen. This is love for God. To obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. Listen, don't you remember our Savior's gracious invitation? He said, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Beloved, listen. The teaching of Holy Scripture is that the burden that Jesus gives us to bear is not heavy. It's not heavy. Rather, it is light. And the Holy Scriptures teach that the yoke Jesus places upon us, it's not hard. It's easy to bear. That's what the Bible teaches His commands are not grievous. They are not burdensome. Listen, they are easy. They are light. We spoke of husbands and wives a moment ago. And and Christian, listen, don't you understand that Christian marriage is designed by God to be a relationship of love? It is. We know this because of the New Covenant commands, but also because when God ordained marriage, bringing Eve to Adam in the paradise of Eden, our first father's immediate reaction was to say, oh, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She was made to be loved by Adam. And she was made to love Adam. Jesus affirmed the goodness of marriage with His words and by His presence. You remember His first public miracle was to help a couple of newlyweds by providing the wine for their wedding reception. St. Paul taught by Jesus Himself, grounds His exhortations concerning the marriage relationship of love in the theology of the church. Listen, He writes, Husbands, love your wives, 
even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Ephesians 5, 25-33. Now, saints, listen, please stay with me. Since, since St. Paul has likened the marital relationship to the divine relation between Jesus and His church, His wife, is there anything from the marital relationship that we can learn about our love relationship to God, to Jesus? What we're asking is this, listen, since Paul has said that the love relationship that Jesus has with the church is like a marriage. Is there anything from that apostolic comparison that we can learn? Well, I think so. Listen, as in the marital relationship, the covenanted ones demand exclusivity, so does our relationship with Jesus. Are you listening? You see, like the exclusivity of marriage to love our God as He desires to be loved, that means that we will have no other gods before Him. Have you heard that anywhere before? It means that we will bow to no other God. We will serve no other God. Like the married wife who has taken her husband's name, we serve no other God. For it is by His name alone that we are redeemed. Remember, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Listen, an earthly marriage in which there is no exclusivity is no marriage at all. It's a farce. It's a joke. A vanity. A lie. It's not a marriage. So, to love our God means that we will not take His name in vain. 
Have you heard that phrase anywhere before? You want to take the name of Jesus? It, may, it means that we will not vainly claim Christianity. We will not say that we are His followers, His wife, when we aren't. Saints, remember, <laughs> there are two most important ways that God's love is revealed to His people. Listen, two ways. And the first way is this, He always keeps His covenant. He always keeps His covenant. He honors His Word. He always keeps His promises. He is faithful. He is not, listen, He is not like the despicable husband who promises faithfulness and then rationalizes some excuse to unfaithfully dishonor, abuse, and degrade his wife. Our God is not like that. Our God is semper fidelis, ever faithful. He has said it, and He will do it. The other way, listen, the other way that God's great love is revealed to His people is through sacrifice. Unbelievable incredible but true sacrifice for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life John chapter 3 verse 16 God so loved that He gave. He sacrificed His only begotten Son. For what? For us. For us. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. And listen to the New International Version rendering of that passage. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And friend, listen. One of the hallmarks of love is reciprocity. Reciprocity. Don't you see? If we love Him, it's only because He first loved us. We love Him because... He first loved us. 1 John 4, verse 19. So listen. So listen. If the greatest ways that God has shown His love to us is by His faithfulness, 
His covenant keeping, and by His sacrifice, sending His Son Jesus to save us from our sins. Wouldn't reciprocity teach that the greatest ways we can love Him back is by faithfulness and sacrifice? Wouldn't it? I don't want to make something that's not here, here, but I think so. And what is faithfulness? Well, in the context of divine love, according to Jesus, it's obedience. It's following the teachings of Jesus. And what is sacrifice? Well, in the context of divine love, it is obedience. It's laying down our lives for others. And what are our lives? Well, they're our time and our money which is the fruit of our time. Now listen, wives. Wives, listen. If your husband doesn't just stay at home, if he goes out into the world, into a workplace, let me tell you exactly what's going to happen to him. And I don't care if he's ugly or if he's handsome. This will happen. Some woman is going to flirt with him. Some woman is going to tempt him. Some woman, listen, is going to try to seduce him. And listen, if he hasn't made up his mind about exclusivity... If he hasn't made up his mind that he's a one-woman man. If he hasn't coveted, covenanted and said within his heart, My lips have bound me and I cannot go back. If he hasn't done those things, well, let me tell you what's going to happen if he hasn't done those things. Love will be dishonored. Hearts will be broken. Lives will be shattered. Trust will be violated. Now, husbands, husbands, listen, listen to me. If your wife stays at home, or if she goes out into the world to a workplace, either way, listen, let me tell you exactly what's going to happen to her. Some man is going to flirt with her. He's going to tempt her. He's going to try to seduce her. Do, do you believe me? I'm, I can guarantee you. And if she hasn't made up her mind about exclusivity, if she hasn't said to herself, I am a one-man woman, if she hasn't coveted, covenanted and said within her heart, my lips have bound me and I cannot go back. If she hasn't done those things, you know what's going to happen? Love will be dishonored. Hearts will be broken. Lives will be shattered. Trust will be violated. 
Jeannie and I married young. And I mentioned this before, but one of the things that we realized was we didn't know what we were doing. And one of the things we did to try to remedy that was we read a lot of books about marriage. Some good and some not so good. But one of the good things that we learned about a good marriage is that it doesn't just happen. It's intentional. It has to be planned. Listen, like a good garden, there's more required than just the planting. Weeds must be pulled. Pests must be poisoned, killed. Work must be done. There's hoeing and raking and watering. There's preparations against the extremes of cold and heat. And listen, if you neglect your garden, it won't be a good one. Are you listening? Now listen, you could do everything that you should do. And if God sends no rain, your garden might not flourish. Now that, that might happen. But listen, I guarantee you, I can guarantee you that if you don't keep your garden, it will fail. For sure. I thank God that Jeannie and I weren't proud. So when we read about how others had failed, we took some measures to protect ourselves, our marriage. And praise God, we've made it quite a while now, baby. Brothers and sisters, listen, if you are married, your love of your spouse is important. And you should protect it. It's worth protecting. But brothers and sisters, please listen. Whether you're married to an earthly spouse or not, your love of your heavenly bridegroom your husband is important. And you should protect it. Let me tell you something about Jesus as a husband. Listen, are you listening? He will never be unfaithful. He will never be unfaithful. He has laid down His life for us. But what about us? Kari Eliasson. Lord, have mercy. We love you. Help us to be ever faithful. Help us to desire you, to obey you, to find our joy and peace and comfort in you. Oh, Lord, help us. Saints, I want to do this. Don't you want to do this? Don't you want to love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength? C.S. Lewis wrote, Each day we are becoming a creature of splendid glory or one of unthinkable horror. I believe that's true. And listen, if we are loving God, 
we are becoming more like him. Godly. God-like. We are becoming creatures of splendid glory. But listen, if we are not loving God, we will become ungodly, ungodlike. We will become creatures of unthinkable horror. Every day. The Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. See, I have set before thee this day life and death, good and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgment, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God will bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, and verses 15 and 16. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Happy the heart where graces reign, where love inspires the breast. Love is the brightest of the train and strengthens all the rest. Knowledge, alas, tis all in vain. And all in vain our fear. Our stubborn sins will fight and reign if love be absent there. Tis love that makes our cheerful feet in swift obedience move. The devils know and tremble too, but Satan cannot love. This is the grace that lives and sings when faith and hope shall cease. Tis this shall strike our joyful strings in the sweet realms of bliss. Before we quite forsake our day, our clay, or leave this dark abode, the wings of love bear us away to see our smiling God. Please stand with me for prayer. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Let's pray. All-sufficient King, when I come into Thy presence, I see the glory of Thy perfections, the throne of eternal and universal empire, the 10,000 times 10,000 who minister to Thee. Oh, impress my mind with the consciousness of thy greatness, not to drive me from thee, but to inspire me to approach thee, not to diminish my confidence in thee, but to lead me to admire thy great condescension to me. 
Thou hast been mindful of me and visited me. Thou hast taken charge of me from birth, cared for me in all conditions, fed me at thy table, drawn thy curtains of love about me, given me new mercies every morning. Oh, suffer me not to forget that I look for yet greater blessings, a hope beyond the grave, the earnest foretastes of immortality, holiness, wisdom, strength, peace, joy. All of these thou hast provided for me in Jesus. I grieve to think how insensible I have been of the claims of thy authority and the endearments of thy love. How little have I credited thy truth, trusted thy promises, feared thy threats, obeyed thy commands, improved my advantages, welcomed thy warnings, responded to thy grace. But notwithstanding my desert, I yet live. Oh, may thy goodness always lead me to repentance and thy long suffering prove my salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.